Hello and welcome to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ and I am the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. Oh, PJ, we've got a lot to cover today. We have. This is <laughs> this is going to be a packed episode, not least because the issue of JLA we're looking at is a longer than normal issue. And then we have other talking points we wanted to bring up too. So um, strap in, folks. Yeah, we um, we kind of made a rod for our own back here because, yeah, PJ, as you rightly said, a lot of comic content to cover. And then we've we've each brought things to the table, which we think are kind of worthy of of chowing down on beyond that. Yeah, it's um, we believe as as we record, we're in early December. I'm sat right now in front of my Christmas tree, but you'll be hearing this in January. So uh, is this our New Year's special? Maybe. Who knows? Uh, a, a new year and a new era, PJ. Yes, very much so. We're about to see some big changes in the world of JLA. Ooh. That's my kind of like, uh, oh, I don't know, that would be the, you know, like, um, oh, what was it like when Game of Thrones was on TV? They'd always have that kind of like... Uh, there'd be the fan show on immediately afterwards where they'd oh, be talking yes. to all the celebrities. That's my that's that's my voice for that show where I'd be like, and join us next week where there's some big developments in Westeros. Hint. <laughs> Hint. You can't see me winking, PJ, but I'm kind of like theatrically <laughs> nodding my head towards the camera. As long as somebody is. Wait, you have a camera? Uh, the The metaphorical camera. Oh, okay. That guy. Uh, I should also say as a little disclaimer, uh, if you hear any background noises in this recording, uh, that's because uh, Lucy, uh, my wife, is is uh, lettering uh, a comic in the same room. Uh, so it's all it's all authentic. It's all real, kind of like from the um, the foundry of pure comic creation. Uh, at the same time, um, she was feeling a little peckish, so she went and found the noisiest snack treat known to man. Pringles? Uh, a, bowl, a bowl of Doritos. Oh, those. <laughs> and, uh, and she's also listening to a, to a funny podcast on her headphones and, and chuckling to herself. So if is, it, here... is it the last episode of JLA cast? Uh, no, no, PJ, I said a funny podcast. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> ours is pure, purely educational. Not tedious like ours. So, sorry, no. yeah, educational. Uh, so PJ, what did you want to discuss? What was our kind of side topic? So the first one I wanted to bring up, we had uh, a lovely comment on our last episode um, from Sam Gardner Jr. Said he mm. thoroughly enjoyed the, the last episode. And then he said, also, you probably knew this, but I only discovered it recently. The holograms, as in the Revenge Squad that Lex Luthor's Injustice Kang sent against the JLA in part one of Rock of Ages, uh, are a bit of a throwback to this issue. And then he shared the cover to World's Finest, issue 175. And uh, I initially was like, well, I don't know. I don't know anything because I'm just a blank slate of a man. But I imagine that PJ font of all knowledge he's all over this i bet he knows this already i had no idea i did not uh so i've done some research and uh, i want to thank you very much sam for bringing this to my attention because it meant i got to re read a fantastic comic from the silver age oh uh, nice so it was written by leo dorfman and penciled by the legendary neil adams who did the cover as well oh, wow. uh, the cover shows a tiny batman and superman and then you've got behind superman a bald guy who is not Lex Luthor, 
Oh, that isn't Lex Luthor. It's not Lex Luthor. Ah, oh, I saw the cover, you see. Yeah, exactly. But wearing a Superman outfit, but where the S is a glowing green colour. And then behind Batman, you've got a bunch of guys dressed like Batman, but sort of in shades of purple, where the emblem is the skull with wings, ah. like Batman's duplicate in Rock of Ages. Very funny. And uh, the title is The Superman Batman Revenge Squad. And as we know, the holograms were called the Revenge Squad. So I read the issue. It bears no resemblance to Rock of Ages whatsoever. Uh, the Superman Revenge Squad are a bunch of aliens who wear the costume because they hate Superman. Uh, they had appeared in quite a few comics, apparently, uh, before this. And Could they um, do anything? Or were they, were they just... Not so much people? in this issue. Okay. So the Batman Revenge Squad is formed in this issue. And that's a bunch of criminals who... <laughs> Batman had put in jail. They just come out of prison. They're like, we're the Batman Revenge Squad, so let's put on these purple Batman costumes. Okay. The two Revenge Squads team up uh, during the annual contest that Batman and Superman were having at this point to decide who is the better crime fighter, where, (laughs) for example, three years ago in 1965, Superman won, and so he got a pair of Batman's boots to display in his trophy cabinet. (laughs) Okay. So there are a number of events. Superman sets them for Batman. Batman sets them for Superman. But the Revenge Squads booby trap them with the eventual goal being that Batman and Superman will each take away a prize from the other one that they have, the Revenge Squads have trapped. So Batman's will just explode. Superman's will explode twice, once covering him (laughs) in gold kryptonite to rob him of his powers and then the second explosion to kill him when he's powerless. Okay. Jimmy Olsen figures it all out and they they deactivate the booby traps. So they have access to gold kryptonite. Kryptonite was everywhere at this point in time. This is the early the, the early Silver Age, or well, ten years into the Silver Age of comics. So, wow, Kryptonite was, was everywhere. I was just thinking it like you know, screw the bomb, like right right off the bat, you've got gold Kryptonite. Like that's that's pretty good. Like you're doing all right. It yeah, but it just it just takes away the powers. It's so you then do have to shoot him or well yeah, like but that. I mean you could probably buy a buy buy a cheap gun. Fairly, fairly easily, or or even just a, a hammer would probably do the job. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't gold kryptonite permanently take his powers away, or am I just dreaming? I that? don't remember. Is the honest answer because that's the basis of um, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Am I right? The yes. Alan Moore story. Yeah. Yes. Sorry, spoilers, everyone. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the plot's foiled by Jimmy Olsen and Robin because you know comics in the 60s and both revenge squads are sent to prison the superman revenge squad prison on an alien planet the batman revenge squad prison on earth but yeah certainly the design of the batman revenge squad costume very much resembles the costume worn by batman in lex luthor's revenge squad in rock of ages obviously it's energy electric blue superman by that point so the classic costume with the green s wouldn't have worked uh but yeah, I think Sam is right, and we know how much Morrison loves the classic uh, Gold and Silver Age stories, and so I fully believe that that story certainly was uh, the inspiration for the look of the Revenge Squads. It also led me to remember that Revenge Squad is a pretty common name for bad guys who take on Superman, because I remember a trade I read in the late 90s of comics released in, I want to say, 97 where a bunch of Z-list Superman villains termed, teamed up as the Superman Revenge Squad. You know, characters was, like Maxima and Riot, who no one remembers anymore. I was going to bring that up, actually, because thinking back, 
Revenge Squad is kind of a weird name yeah. for 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 the context of the holograms uh, as they as they kind of appear in this story. So it does make a lot of sense that it's a weird reference to something. Yeah, and the purple, uh, the fact that the holograms are all kind of like this purple color. I'd always assumed was just a kind of Joker and Lex Luthor kind of reference, you know, that like that green and purple mm. is so often seen as uh, as like villainous colours. Um, but it's so weird that it's actually some kind of like meta meta reference that I never picked up on. Yeah, I think the green is probably a reference. Is is like uh, this is the bad guys. This is the evil the evil villains doing it because there's there there was no hint of green well in the superman revenge squad obviously on the s's but that's a very bright kryptonite green so i I think that's just coincidence but yeah it does look to me like morrison maybe pointed uh porter towards this issue of world's finest and said look update this version of the batman revenge squad costume use that for batman and then use that to extrapolate the rest of the revenge squad and update do their costumes to be evil versions of the league well, again, here's a here's a thing I hadn't really considered then, and we and we talked about how I think we both had the weird existential crisis of knowing that these issues of JLA are closer in time to Crisis on Infinite Earths mm. than they are to present day, which is horrifying to think of. Yep, um, and we know that DC, for better or for worse, is big on reboots. And whenever there is a reboot, it's kind of always a matter of time, or only a matter of time, until the new version of a thing you know appears. Yeah. So, like, if we rebooted the JLA tomorrow, it would basically be a ticking clock until Darkseid appears. Like, we just know that's going to happen. Yeah. So, again, thinking back now to this issue... um. Is this the first time that the Revenge Squad in any form has appeared in a post-crisis world? Uh, Remind me what date we're looking at with first part of Rock of Ages. Oh, uh, hang on. I can tell you exactly. I have a spreadsheet. Uh, It was September 1997. It was the golden month in which everything happened. Then no. The Superman Revenge Squad, the the Z-list villains team, appeared in February 97. And then what, what, a second version appeared in August '97. What was in the air in DC at that time? <laughs> revenge. Well, revenge. Clearly, <laughs> it's so bizarre. Oh, I've got another question, PJ. The old school Superman Revenge Squad mm. uh, with their glowing green Superman logo, which is a little jarring. Uh, is that kryptonite glowing on their chest, or is it okay. just a green light? I'm not sure. When they turn up at the warehouse that the Batman Revenge Squad has met in. One of the Batman Revenge Squad does say, hey, it's Superman's costume, but with green, because kryptonite. But they don't actually specify whether they're actually wearing kryptonite or not. Now, I've look, I'm have i looking them up, um, the Superman Revenge Squad, on that, that, that font of all knowledge that is never wrong, Wikipedia. Uh, it <laughs> says they, they originated as the Superboy Revenge Squad in 1962, Oh my god! Before They're graduating a reboot to of be a the reboot super, of a reboot, yeah, before graduating to be the Superman Revenge Squad, um, it doesn't really mention. It's maybe not a hole worth 
fall, fall oh, into. Oh no, it says it says here the S shield made of kryptonite and their oh. heads shaved bald in tribute to Lex Luthor. It really was. You could just throw everything at the wall back then. They also it, appeared in the first Superman Red, Superman Blue storyline in 1963. So, which of course went on to inspire Electric Blue Superman to some extent. Yeah, did not. Well, they redid the whole Superman Red, Superman Blue in the Electric era, didn't oh, they? It doesn't that, affect oh the God, pages that, of JLA, but that's something for another day, isn't it, PJ? But the Electric Blue Superman we know and love so dearly. Uh isn't he technically one of two Supermen who are currently existing? There is an uh, unknown Red Superman flying I, around. I, I don't know how far into the storyline Superman Red shows up, but when he first changes into an energy being, you just get the blue version that we see in JLA. And then it's a few months later that Toy Man splits him into two and he becomes Superman Blue and Superman right. Red. Uh, Superman Red never mentioned in the pages of JLA, never even referenced. So I don't know if, if Superman Red was only around for a couple of months because I only read the the first trade of the Transformed era for the Superman books. I haven't actually read ever, anything that came after that. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll have to cover that one day, but maybe because I've never read the only reference I've had, I've ever had to the resolution of the Electric Blue and um, Blue Red Superman was the um, is in the DC Encyclopedia of all <laughs> things, and I know it references an event involving the Millennium Giants, yes. in which I think Superman burnt out all his extra energy powers and returned to the regular big blue that we kind of know and know and love but not as much yeah. as electric blue Superman. <laughs> uh pj could i could i bring a topic to the table of course to, you may thank you thank you pj um well my for show and tell today i wanted to bring up um a perennial um pantomime villain uh john byrne who um uh, i know we'd uh we talked about in previous issues and i'd um i'd wondered if i you know we'd maybe been a little hard on him in a couple of places but um Randomly, randomly, I saw, um, I forget who shared it, which is terrible of me, but I, I saw that somebody had shared on Twitter uh, uh, an excerpt from, um, I think, a 1999 interview with uh, Morrison. Uh, now, um, I imagine many of our listeners know that um, one of uh, um, uh, Grant was very active back in the 80s in that kind of like British invasion. Yeah. And uh, Vertigo and all those kind of like adult um, postmodern comics. And I was a big fan, and still am a big fan, of um, Doom Patrol, uh, the 80s run, which uh, I know has been uh, a big inspiration on uh, uh, the TV series of Doom Patrol, which is currently running. And uh, all of which is to say that that brief window, those six volumes of Doom Patrol written by Morrison uh, and drawn by Richard Case back in the 80s, Love them. Very, very surreal. Uh, and I've not really followed the characters since. Hmm. But this is this is just a weird thing. Uh, later on in this run of JLA, so long after Morrison and Porter leave the book and after Wade, and I think before Joe Kelly and Doug Mank take over, there's a brief one-off little story written by John Byrne and it's called The 10th Circle, and it reintroduces, and God knows, PJ, I have no idea what the continuity is here, <laughs> but it re-re-reintroduces the Doom Patrol back into the main continuity. 
it's not a good story. I'm shocked. Uh, I picked this up because I'm like, well, JLA, big fan. Doom Patrol, big fan. You know, peanut butter and jelly, put them together. <laughs> In- incredible. Um, it's not very good. It's got none of the surrealism or sheer creativity of Morrison's 80s Doom Patrol. And um, it's very bland. Yeah, I'd be like, if you're taking a, if you're re re rebooting the Doom Patrol, and this is the first time that the JLA have ever met them in this continuity, why wouldn't you do something more interesting than what you did? <laughs> now, so this excerpt from 1999 of a Grant Morrison interview is incredibly uh, prescient because uh, the interviewer says, any chance of a Doom Patrol reunion? And Morrison says, I can't imagine doing any more Doom Patrol ever. Tom Payer, I believe, is doing something with the 90s Doom Patrol, and he's the only person I trust not to ruin my beloved characters. (laughs) It continues. John Byrne has entertained numerous schemes over the years and will probably end up doing something with Doom Patrol, like making it exactly the way it was in his youth, but with enough of a Byrne spin to make everyone hate it. Oh. <laughs> now, I I think this is very telling because Morrison not mincing their words here and I think this does feed into the the pocket theory that we were developing about dark side and burn and what was going on in like 1997 and how and Morrison how, was saddled with Genesis. Yeah, and then how Morrison just kind of like basically just kicked Burns ass up and down a building in Jack Kirby style by just doing a much better story like yep. two months later like I, I'm <laughs> choosing to believe this isn't headcanon anymore I do think this is real wow I mean it's funny that we keep bringing Burn up he is the perennial bad penny isn't he but um I just finished reading a book Superman, The High-Flying History of America's Most Enduring Hero by Larry Tai, which is basically a biography of Superman right from his creation up to, I think it was published in about 2012, 2013, uh, but my my in-laws bought it for me for Christmas a couple of years ago, and I've only just got around to reading it. Uh, it doesn't have any mention in it of Electric Blue Superman, so it's not as good as it could be. <laughs> what? But as a potted hero history of the Man of Steel, it's it's a good read. But it goes into when John Byrne reboots Superman in 1980s after Crisis. Yeah. Um, and now I need to reread that Man of Steel miniseries because I've always held it up as being pretty good, one of the better things John Byrne's done. But as a reboot of Superman, it's it works. But apparently, according to this biography... It quite quickly DC do away with a lot of the stuff Byrne has brought in. And Byrne apparently also had tried to make Superman a more vaguely right-wing character in line with sort of Ronald Reagan coming to power at the time and, and how popular he apparently was. And right. Byrne is a big supporter of that side of things, so tried to bring that into Superman. That didn't last long either, apparently. But now I really need to go back and reread that Man of Steel mini that I, to be fair, haven't read since I was in maybe my early twenties. Uh, but yeah, I need I need to check that out again now. I I confess that I haven't read that uh, Burns run on Superman, um, but I do. From what I know of it culturally, wasn't that like a big attempt to 
condense a lot of the very convoluted Superman history up until that point. It was a real streamlining of of like the mythology. Yeah. And uh, didn't it um didn't it depower Superman a little bit? Like made him less godlike and more I I I don't want to say realistic, but a bit more you know, like he could be hurt. Like he, he, he was just he was like a big strong flying guy rather than Superman. I don't Realistic is the word, actually. That's that's apparently what Byrne was going for. To be fair, in the Silver Age, Superman had become massively overpowered. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he had way too many powers. That that, but Byrne does depower him a lot. Like he he gets rid of the ice breath, being able to freeze oh, things okay. with his breath. That didn't come back till a bit later, and he also tried to make, and this was completely lost on me. We we've always just sort of accepted that the real person is sort of a combination of Superman and Clark Kent. And when he's Superman, he puts it on a little bit more. And Clark Kent, as most people know him, is also a disguise. Yes. Byrne tried to say that Clark Kent, that's the real guy. Which just doesn't work. I I know this is a Morrison fan podcast, but I, I do have to say that I've always really liked Morrison's comments about Clark Kent, where the real Clark Kent is a strong, handsome farm boy who's good with people. And then Clark Kent and Superman, as you said, are both personas. Like yeah. the Yeah, he's playing the bumbling, awkward guy. But like the real Clark Kent, who you probably only see when he's relaxing at home, is... Yeah, he's 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 just a pretty normal, easygoing guy. Yeah, uh, and it's quite sad that he's had to like sacrifice his his normal life to be these two different people. Yeah, but that's why Byrne tried to take it in the wrong direction. He didn't last that long on the Superman books. It turns out I thought he did that Man of Steel mini and then basically stayed for a while. But I think it was only a few months after the end of the mini that they they got rid of him. Was that like 1986, did you say? Like just yeah, 86, 87, just after Crisis. That's wild. That is a decade before this comic. Mm-hmm. That's wild. That's like looking back from the present day to... I, I know, sorry. Hey, hey, kids, this is what it's like when you get old. This is like looking back to 2010. It's like the difference between now and Marvel's Civil War. Yeah. Which is wild. Yeah, Which it's crazy wild. to me that Death of Superman is less than a decade after Crisis. Yeah. I mean, because they were... Which is telling, isn't it? Because that big reboot in 80, 86, then the burn thing, which I think is kind of quaint looking back on it, mm. then very quickly into the excesses of the early 90s, and then they're killing him. You know, then they're killing Superman. Like, it doesn't... that. Uh, not the golden age, but like that big golden reboot, the sheen seemed to come off it quite quickly. There was another reason for killing him that I discovered through reading this book. I knew that it was a thing that Jerry Ordway sort of suggested every year at the <laughs> Superman year. retreat. Let's just kill him. But this year they were going to have Superman and Lois get married. And then Warner Brothers said they weren't allowed to do that very quickly because the new Adventures of Superman, Lois and Clark TV series was just coming out. Right. And they weren't allowed to have them get married in the comics before the TV show. Oh so God. all of a sudden, all of their story plans just went out the window for the, for the next year. And they were like, well, what do we do? So when Jerry Ordway this year went, let's just kill him. They went, okay, let's just kill him. <laughs> I... Yeah, it's so mad. Like, I, I just uh, just touching on Burn again. Like, 
he's done good work. Yeah. Like he really has. I mean, who am I to say that John Byrne, with his very long career, hasn't done good work? I mean, obviously, we've talked about him and Claremont on X-Men. Mm-hmm. He's run on Fantastic Four. Um, other things which I can't bring to mind right this second. Alpha Flight. Alpha Flight, yep. But you do get all these anecdotes which start to add up. Like, um, oh God, there's there's a story he did which is which is about the the children of Superman and Batman, and then their children. It's like a kind of generational story. I remember that, yeah, yeah. And apparently, it's not very good. But the story goes that he basically was hanging around DC offices for so long, pestering them about this story, but they let him do it, basically to shut him up. And and then also every time I think, ah, oh, maybe I'm being a bit hard on him. I do think about some of the things he has said yes. in his life. Like he has said some disgusting things about various groups of people on yep. the planet. And then I don't feel so sympathetic for him anymore because he's pretty gross things in the past. It's it's not nice. Yep. Yep. Ah, oh, well. Ah, oh, well. An interesting JLA trivia. <laughs> and- uh Join Sorry, us next time when John Byrne will inevitably come up again and... and uh. <laughs> <laughs> As you say, the original bad penny. Um, PJ, do you want to... Um, should we dive into this, this issue? Let's do it, because this, this is a biggie. It's a good issue. Okay, so what, what's basically just happened, PJ, in, in, in ten words or less? I can't do it in ten words or less. <laughs> we're, we're on part six, the final chapter of Morrison and Porter's epic Rock of Ages, the story that would change the JLA for a couple of years. <laughs> I think you basically have to go part one, JLA fight hard like Justice League, evil holograms, the aforementioned revenge squad sent down by the uh, Injustice gang, newly formed by Lex Luthor. Part two, Luthor reveals his plan. He's doing a corporate takeover of the Justice League. Um, uh, part... Oh, and... Yeah, and Wally, Kyle, and Aquaman encounter Metatron. Uh, Metatron. Me- Metatron. Oh, this God, is an yeah, Afterlife Inc., John. I'm sorry. No, I've just I've just been looking at pages offline. <laughs> um, then, yeah, they get jaunted across the universe on a cosmic quest for the Philosopher's Stone. Meanwhile, Batman basically says, Luther's doing corporate takeover. I'm better at that than he is. I've got a plan. And then Superman and John throw a rock at Luther's satellite. Yes, quite a big rock. And yep. Batman has already dismantled Luther's plan. It's only a matter of time until they sort it out. Meanwhile, Green Lantern, Flash and Aquaman get stranded in a dark future timeline, which has come to pass because Superman destroys the Philosopher's Stone, which is currently in Lex Luthor's possession, which allows Darkseid to take over and enslave the earth they recruit a new justice league that manages to defeat and kill dark side just as the whole of reality unravels but luckily aquaman green lantern and flash manage to travel back in time and the final page of the last issue superman destroys the philosopher's stone yes uh thus supposedly apparently allowing that dark future to come to pass Okay, I think that's everything. I, I think so. We can catch you up if we come across any more points that we need to raise. 
Okay, so I guess kind of suddenly diving in off the back of that, uh, we have a prologue in the year 85-271 AD. Remember that year, that's going to come up again. <laughs> yes, Kicks, and your homework is to do a bit of arithmetic to work out why that year might be significant. <laughs> um, yeah, and we are... Are we on Saturn, PJ? Or? I think we're on Saturn. Yeah, that does look like a ringed planet. And there is a boat sailing. It's a very cool boat. I love that boat. It, it is a space boat sailing through the surface of Saturn. And two people are having a discussion about the concept of time. Yeah, one of them is our man who we met when Kyle was travelling through dimensions in issue th- part three, part four? Of the- part uh, three of this story, I think. Part that was. three, yes. Uh, and he's sitting on an amazing clock themed throne with a whole load of other clocks behind him, a couple of digital ones in there and an hourglass. And he's talking to someone we can't see who's uh, basically saying, you're going to be the master of time and space, and I have one more lesson for you. And then he holds up the Philosopher's Stone, but in the unraveled form, we've seen it in a couple of times. Most of the time, it's it's a red rock shaped like a heart with a blue flame sort of in the middle of it. But occasionally, we've sort of seen it unravel into a very sort of Steve Ditko-style pathways branching and whirling around themselves. And um, It's like a weird floating jumble of kind of like liquid metal you know, yeah or, so, or something yeah and I, I'm, and the hand holding um the philosopher's stone which in its current form is known as the warlogog um has a very dainty white glove on which makes me think that it might be someone we've seen up until now it might be is this the first time we've heard it referred to as the warlogog in this story Yes. Yeah, I can't remember another mention of it. No, because even though we've seen it in in this form, I think we've seen our man holding it, and we've seen Luther holding it. Yeah. Uh yeah. No, there's been no reference to it to it being called the Wallagog. Um, but yeah, but basically, um, as they gaze upon the Wallagog, which is a a a a replica of the universe in miniature. Um, we get like a uh, a handy recap on everything that's happened so far, basically. Um, and then we transition back to the past and the Injustice Gang's satellite thing. Yeah, so we get here. We get the the title and credits. So this is Rock of Ages Part Six: Stone of Destiny, and then the credits, which are interesting. This issue because you get writer Grant Morrison, pencilers. So you have it's a bigger let's be bigger issue higher page count they needed the space to finish the story so the pencilers are Howard Porter Gary Frank and Greg Land who all do different pages with inkers John Dell and Bob McLeod and then back to normal letterer Ken Lopez colorist Pat Garrahy associate editor Peter Tomasi and editor Dan Raspler but you you can tell as you go through that pages are drawn by different people as well they don't mesh all that well sometimes. No, I I have some thoughts on that, which I'm going to try and reserve to the end. Yeah. But at this point, PJ, these opening pages, is this Gary Frank? 
drawing it? I'm not familiar with their work. Uh, I think it might be. Because I know this was a very different era for Greg Land. Um, yeah. Very different era for Greg Land. Uh, I think it's fair to say this was a period in his career where he wasn't tracing constantly. And um, he, his, his artwork looked a lot more genuine and a bit less static, shall we say? It, it was more, and I'm using this as a compliment, it was more comic booky. It looked yes. like comic artwork in, in the right way. Now, in a, in a bizarre way, it's maybe less distinctively Greg Land. Yeah. Because I think we've, we've, we all have a, an image in our head now of what Greg Lang's artwork is, is like. And again, I know he's been particularly controversial in recent weeks with accusations of um, copying someone else's work. And yeah, it's yes. not great. Yeah, they've been going on for a while, haven't they? Yeah, they just keep popping up, don't they? He's <laughs> the the other other bad penny. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was a simpler time where it was a bit more freehand, shall we say? <laughs> <laughs> but we're we're on the Injustice Gang satellite. Lex is holding the Philosopher's Stone up in front of him. Joker is leaning over him. He's drawn a face on an egg, and he's pretending the egg is Lex. And. Yeah, basically, the Injustice gang is kind of just waiting for the plan to just fall into place now, because Luther has apparently got everything utterly covered, he thinks. And... Well, they're, they're staring at the moon, aren't they? Because they're waiting for the Watchtower to explode. Except Green Arrow is looking at Mirror Master, and Mirror Master is giving Green Arrow a thumbs up. Oh my absolute god, PJ. I have never, in all the time I've read this issue... The many, many times I have never noticed that Mirror Masker is giving him the thumbs up. <laughs> there you go. Uh, God. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, um, Luther, of course, despite being a very, very, very smart man, absolutely believes that Superman and the Martian Manhunter are dead. They went on a hologram. Hol- uh, mm. <laughs> a holiday. <laughs> they went on a holiday. <laughs> they went on a holiday. They went on a hologrammatic version of the Injustice Gang satellite created by Dr. Light and Mirror Master that then got exploded and Luther believes they perished in the explosion when what they actually did was Superman absorbed everything except the light. They flew down to Earth and they chucked a rock. Yes. So as PJ rightly said, um, the Injustice Gang are, have the best seat in the universe to watch the JLA's Watchtower detonate thanks to the 12 nuclear warheads which were teleported on board. We cut to Aztec, who is who we the haven't only seen for a few issues. No, bless him. Uh, the only inhabitant of a watchtower who is currently staring at one of these warheads. And Luther radios in and says, this is your last chance. Teleport over here. We're going to blow these up. Don't be stupid. And I love this moment. Aztec just says, I'm not going to join you and I'm not going to die. And then there's a little 12 warheads in 3.5 minutes equals 17.5 seconds for each deactivation. And then says, just remember, it was your money that paid for my technology. I couldn't do this without you, Mr. Luther. And um, a weird kind of editorial note. Um, I know it's a change in art at this point, but um, Aztec's costume now definitively has that kind of black triangle on the chest. Yeah, it's definitely not a shadow here. It's very well defined. And I very much like it. I do. I've always Yeah, I think it's a good addition to the costume. We then cut to the Batcave. And Howard Porter. 
Yes, you can tell because that's definitely a porter Batman. Definitely a porter Batman. <laughs> like a like a fine wine, you just know when you see it. <laughs> um, yeah, and um, Batman has built a teleporter. I yeah. guess. <laughs> yeah. He's just I, I built this. It's fine. He says he's got coordinates Mirror Master's given him. The rocks in orbit. That's the one that Superman and Jean threw. Our people are in position. And he says, I think we can secure the Injustice Gang satellite in a matter of minutes, but don't underestimate Luther. And then Superman asks how many people Batman has on the satellite. And, and Batman just says, three, use my initiative. <laughs> so we know one of them's Mirror Master. I think we can safely assume the other one is Green Arrow. Mm, the, third? the third? Hmm. Well, we're going to get a clue in a moment. I wonder if it's Cersei. It mm, could be. Could could be. be. Um, And again, if anyone's forgotten, um, we have the brilliant um, plot development, development, of course, that uh, Mirror Masker, being a mercenary, simply works for the highest bidder. So Bruce Wayne, being a multimillionaire, just paid him. Well, no, he made a donation. Sorry, excuse me. He made a donation to the orphanage Mirror Master grew up in. Because Mirror Master is a mercenary, but he's also got a heart. It was transactional charity, PJ. Yes, there was, it there was, was trans- a <laughs> There was a definite um, transfer of goods from one party to another in return for services rendered. Yes, yes. Uh, Jean does mention that they can resume telepathic contact as soon as they disable Luther's alien. That's Jem, son of Saturn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Batman says, I asked Plastic Man to use whatever he had to jolt the alien out of Luther's control. So Plastic Man, I guess, is number three, but we haven't seen him up on the Injustice Gang satellite yet. No, and you might be forgiven for forgetting about Plastic Man, because aside from seeing him getting recruited by uh, Matches Malone uh, a few a few issues ago, God, a lot's happened in this story. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's been, ooh, where has he been? What's he been up to? Um, I would just have to say, I do very much like the visual effect of Batman's teleporter device he's built. Um, it's, it's, um, it's digitally added. It looks like a kind of rippling black, maybe a cube, perhaps. Um, and Jean, Batman and Superman are all just kind of like standing in it, like half in, half out. Like, um, it's a bizarre shot of Batman where like, the divide of like the the teleporter surface is just kind of going right down the middle of his face, and he doesn't seem to be bothered at all. Yeah, it looks like Superman and John are walking through it normally, and Batman's doing a crab shuffle. <laughs> I assumed it was like waiting for a shower to turn on, like they'd all just kind of like were just standing there waiting. Maybe. <laughs> no, you're right. Maybe they were stepping out. Maybe it's more of a door than a than a cube. That would make more sense. But we're not going to find out yet, because we now have to cut back to the Injustice Gang satellite, where Joker is taunting Jem. Uh, yeah, he's just he's he's spraying him with a with a uh, a water pistol. He's waggling an egg in his face. Uh, he's just being very annoying, generally. Uh, meanwhile, Luther is getting frustrated that Aztec isn't basically just caving to his demands, and he says, "Look, you." These people equate pig-headedness with heroism. And then says, you talk to him, Green Arrow. Tell him he's throwing away his life. And then Ocean Master radios from wherever he's gone. Because he's gone somewhere. I love the micro-background story of how Ocean Master 
a villain in his own right, joins the Injustice gang and basically does all their admin. Yeah. <laughs> is always just for one flicking switches in that insane costume he has. He's basically the janitor. Yeah, he, he says, I came down here to water the hydroponic generators. And then he says, is the Joker still up there with you? And he says, yes. And then Ocean Master says, okay, because I've got the Joker tied up and gagged in a cupboard down here. Yes. And Luther, not missing a beat, instantly pulls out a gun and points it at the Joker. And basically goes, okay, so what are you exactly? A robot, a hologram, a thought projection... How long have you been masquerading as the Joker? And shoots the Joker in the head. And you then get this very cool panel of... I don't know if it's a bullet or a blast of energy, but it flies through the middle of the Joker's head. I think head. it's a bullet, PJ. You can I think see, it is, yeah. You can see the bullet in the previous panel. Oh, yes, you can. Yes, you're right. It's a bullet. And uh, Joker's head splits in half with a sort of gunky, gooey type effect. <laughs> and we, yeah, and you're like, what? Is, is, he, is he made of plasticine? What's going on? And Luther just continues to empty bullets into the Joker, who is now melting out through his trouser legs as his kind of vacant clothes are just riddled with bullets basically and it turns out it's plastic man so there's batman's third now pj what is plastic man's limitation to his shape-shifting powers uh i can't remember he cannot change the color of his skin that's correct yes so he was wearing makeup to be the joker and if you look very carefully, you can see blobs of green paint dropping off him as he reforms into Plastic Man. Oh, yeah, and there is a little bit of white still running down his face as well. Yeah, and I guess thus begins, from this panel onwards, um, Morrison's bizarre love letter to Plastic Man. <laughs> Which I, I am all for. And it's weird, isn't it? Because for a long, long time... After Morrison's run, Plastic Man was considered a like a, a staple member of the JLA. Like, yeah, he's just been a core member for so long now. Yeah, both Mark Wade and Joe Kelly, I think, just kept him around and and had him be on the team for the whole time. And it all began here in a weird way. Mm. And because I don't think anyone had done anything with Plastic Man for a long time. No, not that I'm aware of. I think this this was the beginning of Plastic Man's comeback. Yeah, and he is a strikingly weird character to look at. Yes, very much so. Very much so. I mean, you can tell from the look on Cersei's face as he reforms himself into his natural Plastic Man form. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, PJ, I, before I interrupted you, you are about to say something about Luther. Yeah, well, he, he then says, you're not one of the Justice League, and then asks, who else? So Luther is now piecing together that this has gone wrong, possibly in a major way, and oh dear... There probably are other people up here who are working against me. And I've got to say, it's weird. Luther is a very smart man, arguably one of the smartest men alive. It's interesting how he fails. Like his failings are all based on arrogance. Yeah. It's like his weird character flaw. But it's interesting that in this moment, he he instantly is smart enough to think, 
ah, I understand betrayal. There's got to be more than one. Like, I do like that, that he's just automatically on it. Yeah, but he doesn't have time to think about it because at that moment, Dr. Light announces, someone's uh, hacked our teleporters and is teleporting in. I don't understand what's going on. Um, are we talking D-Lisk or E-Lisk with Dr. Light? Uh, I think it, it depends on the era. I think he's someone who at one point could have been C-List, but at this point is E. Yeah, he's he's basically acting above his pay grade at yeah. the moment. Like, he's he's just out of his depth, absolutely. Um, but speaking about out of our depth, PJ... Nice. Thank you. We cut back to Ocean Master, who has uh, released the Joker. And um, the Joker instantly takes an interest in Ocean Master's uh, crazy staff and goes, now, I guess this is some context around this. He goes, your trident is a quality item. Is that the thing Neron gave you in return for your soul? What does it do? Now, PJ, what does that refer to? Well, it refers to Ocean Master sold his soul to Neron in return for a natty trident that I know as much as you on this which is what Joker just said oh isn't oh my god do I know do I know something more isn't this uh, a direct relate uh, um, relation what am I trying to say what's the word PJ reference you, reference thank you <laughs> um, isn't this a direct reference to the hell on earth storyline or oh some- it might be yes where Neron, who is a big demon, who we've met, um, a load of villains were taken to hell and Neron made deals with them all where they sell their soul and he gives them new powers, which I think was like a big, it was one of those big kind of let's jazz things up events. So everybody, um, it was a way of like, oh, we'll make things interesting again by rebooting a ton of villains. Yeah, and um, but I think in the actual event, nothing of real consequence kind of happened. <laughs> um, which again seems to be a bit of a recurring theme for some of these like kind of mid mid nineties events. Um, but yeah, I know. Um, so as we discover, Ocean Master got given a new trident, which makes him much more powerful. But if he ever lets go of it, he suffers excruciating pain, which of course deal with the devil. And um, didn't the minor Batman villain killer moth got transformed into a um, terrifying insect creature. Who, oh, is that who, when that happened? Yes. Ah, uh, okay. uh, you see. Yeah, you see. Who uh, I think is called like, oh, is it called like Charybdis or something like that? Or it's got like a, mm. has a, has a gnarlier name than killer moth, basically. Hey, come on now. What's a gnarlier name than killer moth? Oh, actually, wasn't Charybdis the villain who destroyed Aquaman's hand? Maybe I'm getting the names confused here. I genuinely can't remember. My mind's gone blank on all of it. What are we doing? Oh, what are we talking about? Sorry, I'm getting getting off topic. Um, But yeah, um, sorry, yeah, and to say Joker finds this all very funny, looks out the window, (laughs) sees the massive asteroid, asteroid Big Rock, that Superman and Jean threw at the satellite, jumps on the radio and goes, 
Lex, guess who? I hate to spoil the party, but someone's been throwing rocks at us, and this one looks about as big as um, three Chinese restaurants. And Luther orders Dr. Light to target cannons at the rock, but then from behind him there is an, excuse me, Mr. Luther, and he turns around, and Green Arrow is pointing an arrow at his head. Indeed. Sorry, PJ. I feel I've talked. I've I've spoken a lot. If you want to, if you want to carry on the action. Well, yep. Connor basically says uh, your weapons have been disabled. Your teleport device is under our control. The rock is going to collide with the satellite in a few minutes. The only way out is the JLA watchtower. You should probably disarm those missiles. And Luther says he's disappointed that Connor hadn't come to his senses, as Luther puts it, and then says, "Well, looks like you've outsmarted me, doesn't it?" At which point. Three distinct waveforms approach, and Dr. Light is concerned. He says, I hope you know what you're doing. And again, this is Dr. Light just standing around being a bit useless, basically, and just looking for guidance at every step. Um, And we see this kind of like crackling of energy appearing. And meanwhile, Plastic Man has gone over to Cersei, who frankly is also standing around and being a bit kind of useless. And he goes, hi, someone said we should talk. And I think that someone may have been Batman. (laughs) I think it might have been. And like a kind of 1940s cartoon, uh, uh, Aquaman, Plastic Man has great big cartoon hearts kind of thumping out of his chest, basically. And Cersei says, Mirror Master, can you deal with this? And Mirror Master says, I'm well out. I'm not, <laughs> not getting involved here. At which point we get an amazing shot of Superman, the Martian Manhunter, and Batman arriving on the satellite. I love this shot of Batman. Batman and looks Superman. so good here. And can I say, I like, I really like Jean's um, boots. Yes. Um, there has been a slow but significant evolution in the fashion choices of Zhang's uh, boots, where the what would you even call it? Like the like the, the pirate flaps. Yeah, the pirate flaps. Thank you, Peter. The pirate flaps have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, to where they are now a hundred percent folded over down to his boot. It is a very distinctive look, and I quite like it. Like if he goes out for a walk after it's just rained the bottom of those boots, the flaps are going to get really muddy. Or if he's out walking, because he doesn't wear trousers, PJ, and his legs get a bit cold, he could roll them up and they would basically meet his pants. <laughs> maybe maybe they were trousers and then they just sort of fell off and he decided, no, I like this look. Well, PJ, we finally cracked the code because in a lot of subsequent adaptations, they have given Jean blue trousers. Yep. And I always thought, that is sacrilege. I want to see those green calves at all times. <laughs> but maybe they never went away, PJ. Maybe he just rolled his boots up. There we and go. they just connect connect to his, trou- his, uh, his little panks. We have happy, solved that mystery. What a happy conversation. Um, I just want to say as well, though, Superman, this is one of the most... One of the images where I think Electric Blue Superman has looked at his most powerful. Mm. He stood there. He looks big. Like, he's he's... A big guy. We know Superman's a big guy, but it always felt like when he became Electric Superman, they slimmed him down a little bit. A tiny bit, yeah. He looks big again. He's got his arms folded, energy crackling from his eyes. This is a powerful Superman, and he is large and in charge. God, I, Peter, I I know we 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 haven't touched upon it ever, 
but I, I do really, <laughs> I do really like Electric Blue Superman. Yep, big fan. <laughs> um, and Luther being a well, being Luther, frankly, <laughs> it just goes ah, Superman. How nice to see you so alive. Why the sudden interest in my stellar conductor research up here? And I love that. It's just Luther trying to make out, I'm just a normal businessman with supervillains working for me in my research lab in space. Hey, hey, I, I can dress my employees like how I wish. Well, actually, no, a lot of businesses can't, but Luther probably can. And he's like, hey, if my stellar researchers want to wear these bizarre costumes, they are more than welcome to. And he even says, Mr. McCulloch, show them the stellar conductor research to Mirror Master. And... Mirror Mask is just not having it. He's like, hey, look, I'm I'm sorry. I'm not doing the accent. Uh, I've got a better <laughs> offer. And, and Luther, again, doesn't even have the commitment to his bit where he doesn't he just breaks character and goes, I'll double what they're paying you. In fact, in fact, name your price. And um and I believe, PJ, there is another reference to Neron and the Hell on Earth storyline. Yeah. Because um Mirror Mask goes, I sold my soul once, and once was enough. I'll see you all right, but as in he's not going to let any harm come to Luther, but he's just he's out of this. He's just yeah. done. Yeah, and he just wanders off. And also in the background, Dr. Light also wandering away. <laughs> so useless. Sorry. Um, and uh, yeah, Luther is reaching into his jacket, maybe for his wallet. We do not know. Uh, and Superman just goes, I prefer you keep your hands where we can all see them. And uh, it just turns out Luther's reached for a wad of cash. And he says it's only money, makes the world go round, oils the wheels, puts satellites in orbit, and helps build wonderful things like hard light hologram storage tanks. Uh-oh, that's where Dr. Light was going. He's gone to the Revenge Squad tanks. And he presses a button, and the Revenge Squad start to activate. Now... This is all very pathetic, I have to say. Like, I, I, I think it's kind of strikingly obvious how inefficient the Injustice gang has suddenly become. But in activating the Injustice... No, sorry, no, the Revenge Squad, would they not need to put their hologram helmets on to control yes, them? Yes, I did have that same thought. Maybe between issue, part one and part six, they've, they've upgraded them somehow. But or maybe we didn't see it. Maybe they've now absorbed so much data from the JLA, which was something they were originally doing. That's true, yeah. Maybe now they can fight autonomously. Who knows? Um, but I think Ocean Master has, has had the first kind of sensible idea of his entire involvement where he yep. goes, <laughs> if we hurry, we can get out of here before the JLA tears the place apart. And I imagine then... if, if you're a career villain... You probably got yeah, the smart villains know yeah. when to run, basically. But we then get one of my all-time favorite Joker lines, <laughs> where Joker runs into a, a room labeled Armory and says, "If we're smart, hey, I'm a certified nut, and you're wearing a fish mask. I don't know about you, but I joined this outfit to cause trouble, and what I need right now is a big science fiction kind of gun." Which he finds, and he does. Joker now has an insanely big gun. Um, and Plastic Man is. You know, constantly shape-shifting. He's basically um, expressing his undying admiration and love for Cersei. And she is pretty disgusted by him. 
Yeah, she shouts at him and then casts a spell, calling him a pig, and Plastic Man is turned into a pig. Just because the artwork turns into Greg Land. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and again, it's maybe all a little awkward. I, I don't know if this was the intention, just to show the awkwardness in the room, but basically Jean, Batman and Superman are still just standing there. And they don't really bat an eyelid that Plastic Man's been turned into an actual pig. Yeah, like an Batman just pig. says, Plastic Man's down. And then Superman again says, look, Luther, come on, the rock's coming. Let's go to the JLA Watchtower. And then we do get a close-up of Plastic Man as a pig, and he's pretty adorable. Yes, and he jumps onto the control panel, I guess for the Injustice gang. The Revenge uh- Squad. God, sorry, PJ. There's so, so many gangs and squads. Uh, the Revenge Squad, and then I guess we get a bit of like a weird, a weird line where Luther says you'd better deal with those Revenge Squad holograms, Green Arrow. I think it's he's trying to get Green Arrow to stop pointing the arrow at him. Maybe. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yes, that, yes, no, that makes sense, PJ. I had wondered actually, and. Uh, Connor shoots an arrow into the computer, which basically kind of shuts it down. And Dr. Light is just kind of being really, really useless. He's just basically going like, Mirror Master, I need your help, as he's being menaced by a pig, I guess. And then Plastic Pig runs back over to Cersei and just says, nice try, babe. Are you my mom? And turns back into Plastic Man. Yes, and Cersei seems momentarily confused, and she goes, I know you, and she calls him, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but is it not Dionysus or Dionysus? Dionysus? Isn't Dionysus. The, god of, the god of wine? and Yeah, the, the party god. The party god, yeah. Uh, of course, Cersei being from Greek mythology, uh, this is clearly not the first time she's dealt with an annoying party asshole basically. Yeah, and Plastic Man does say, any other shapes you'd like me to get out of? And then we get finally, Dr. Light gets something to do! And 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 Howard Porter's back as well because this is suddenly looking very cool. Yes. <laughs> For lack of a better word. Yeah, so Superman says to Lex, look, you've been outwitted at every turn, and Lex says, well, that's how it looks, yeah, but then we get some science. So... He says, you must know that visible light is simply what lies on a very narrow wave bound between 4,000 and 7,000 angstrom units. The light we can't see covers the entire electromagnetic spectrum from gamma rays at 10 centimetres to radio waves at 30,000 metres over to the Doctor. Uh, Because now Dr. Light continues the science lesson. And he says, right now I'm increasing the wavelength of visible light first into infrared, then all the way up to radio frequencies. Light in all its forms is under my command. And Batman realises that this means Dr. Light can control Superman's energy form. And I have to say, the colouring effects here are really cool. They where, are. And I guess, sorry, I'm going to spin back to the credits. This is very bad of me for not having it memorised, but I should give a shout-out to Pat Garahay. There we go. Uh, for doing a, a stellar job here. As, as Dr. Light says, the light shifts into infrared... And then into radio frequencies. So technically, everyone's blind, Yeah, basically. They can't see a thing, I think. And 
the light has gone like a weird green as Superman is being transformed into radio waves, which is a mad concept, and I love it. Yep. And then the light goes back to infrared, and it creates a wall of flames that Jean can't get through. And Batman realises that this now has gone beyond what Dr. Light can do. He's He's got a device in his hand that he's monitoring the heat levels and the light levels with. Uh, at which point Dr. Light transmits Superman out of the solar system at light speed. Which is a very, very, very cool idea. Um, but yeah, so Batman and Superman, uh, Batman and John rather, are suddenly surrounded by this absolute inferno, like this wall of flame, which has, of course, completely... Um, compromised Jean. Like, Jean is just kind of, um, you know, he's covering his face. Obviously, it would compromise his powers. But this is basically impossible. Like, where have these flames come from? It doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. And Luther is holding the Philosopher's Stone. Yep. So that was him. And he says, maintain light levels at infrared. I paid for the night sight contact lenses. Let's use them. So the Injustice gang can still see. Yeah, and as... I, and then also, and then I guess we the next panels are green. So I don't know if this means that like it's back in radio wave or... I think that's uh, sort of the, the Injustice gang's night vision, yeah. Oh, PJ, you're so wise. You're so wise. <laughs> Because it's, uh, it's a different type of green. It looks different to when we saw everything in radio. See, this is waves. why I'm glad you're here, PJ. You're paying attention. Um, <laughs> so we have to assume that the JLA are now completely blind. Mm. And Cersei has turned Plastic Man into a donkey. And he instantly turns himself back. And he seems to be, in a bizarre way, enjoying the experience... Because he says, you know, you're the first woman who's ever taken complete control of my entire physical structure. I must have your phone number. And then we cut to a very cool scene where Green Arrow is looking around saying, I I can't see what's happened as Ocean Master sneaks up on him with his trident raised up. Basically about to plunge the point of it into the back of Connor's neck. Yes, and Connor is well, we actually get a thought bubble. Yeah. Which, which you don't get very often in uh, in them modern comics. Um, but Connor sniffs, and we get this little thought bubble where he goes, Brian? And then he spins and kicks Ocean Master in the chest. Uh, Ocean Master's trident goes flying, and Ocean Master gives a much bigger scream than you would expect a kick to the chest to generate. So, as described before, we can only imagine he is now in absolute agony because he's no longer touching his demon-powered trident. And he's been kicked. I mean, that's probably a little sore as well. (laughs) Then uh, Batman points out to Jean that they don't need to uh, maintain telepathic silence anymore. So Jean says, yes, maybe I can reach Luthor's alien. And you get a nice close-up of Jem's face as the, the diamond in his forehead and one of his eyes both start to glow. Yeah, and and again, just it does a good job of kind of showing the general disarray, but yeah. Connor, despite being blind, uh, is in control and he goes, I trained to fight in darkness. I can hear you breathing. I can smell your cologne, Luther. 
And we also do see uh, Ocean Master cradling his trident <laughs> in the corner. And uh, Luther is deathly calm and is holding the Philosopher's Stone. And he goes, I'm sure you've noticed uh, the crystal I've been carrying around. And Plastic Man desperately tries to reach for it. And Luther goes, I found it in Colombia. It doesn't, well, it doesn't just control my alien. It apparently does anything I think of. And suddenly, Plastic Man is trapped inside a giant glass bottle. With a cork in the top so he can't wriggle his way out. Well, you'd hope, wouldn't you? It'd be a massive oversight if he if he didn't put a lid on the bottle. Yeah. Luther's a smart man. He knows you always put a lid on the bottle when you're not pouring something out of it. And in typical Luther greed, he goes, when I find out how the stone works, I'm going to make another one. <laughs> like, again, I guess that's just, he's a good capitalist, I guess. But like, yep. why bother? Um, and yeah, and basically Luther thinks he's won. Like Batman and John are trapped by flames. Uh, Connor is but a boy. And Luther is holding the ultimate weapon in his hand. So he's like, okay, we've won. What do we do? How do we how do we punish spies, basically? Yeah, he threatens to turn Connor's arms into... Uh, take his arms away or, or turn him into glass. And the Ocean Master's like, can I, can I hit him first? Because he kicked me. <laughs> Now I've got my precious trident back. <laughs> He's just <laughs> cradling it. And then he asks Luther if they've won. And Luther, holding the Philosopher's Stone in front of his face, says, of course we won. Didn't I tell you that? But what Luther doesn't realise is Jem, son of Saturn, is lurking up behind him. I imagine uh, this particular moment made it into your bi-weekly Jem, son of Saturn um, 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 newsletter, PJ. <laughs> It it did the one that I only sent to myself because no one else is interested. But <laughs> <laughs> but you have a hundred percent open and response rate. Like it goes down really well, except that one week where I forgot to open it. But <laughs> um, but yeah, Gem, son of Saturn, just again must be really hard to do in real life. But simultaneously punches Luther and Doctor Light in the head with one blow. Yeah, it's quite impressive. Which knocks Dr. Light out enough that suddenly everyone can see again, the light comes back and Batman is on it straight away he says, John, use your invisibility against Dr. Light get Cersei any way you can Luthor dies for the Philosopher's Stone and I love that in the background you have Connor kicking Ocean Master in the face, it's a beautiful kick Is Ocean Master just the worst? He's, he is, he's rubbish he's, he, God, he's borderline worse than Dr. Light I have to say, like <laughs> We have to assume that he is he has Aquaman's powers. Well, Dr. We Light has at least done something effective in this issue. Yeah. Ocean Master found Joker and has been kicked a couple of times. That's all he's done. Yeah, and he's lost his trident again, so he's he's down. Um and as Luther makes a very undignified dive for his precious stone, Batman simply steps on his wrist and goes, The corporate raids over. Your fingerprints were all over this from the start. So happy days. It's over. It's over, PJ. And Connor opens a channel so Superman can return to the satellite. He managed to bounce himself off a space probe near Jupiter. <laughs> Which is fun. And then he says, right, we're done. You're coming with us, Luther. 
And uh, Luther's like, nope, nope, there's nukes on the uh, on the watchtower. We're going to blow it up. And Batman says, well, you best disarm them because you're going through first. And Jean contacts Aztec to say, oh, God, nukes, are you okay? And Aztec's just uh, calmly leaning on one of the nukes. And he says, oh, yeah, I had it down to eight seconds by the last one. It's all good. <laughs> He's deactivated all of them. Yeah, and and then we have Plastic Man, who is trying to wake up Jem, who is now standing, but is in a kind of like zombie-like state. And yeah. he's, he's just kind of like waving his hand in front of his face, just trying to be annoying, trying to wake him up. And then suddenly there's a big explosion and Jem's shoulder and chest explode and goo kind of goes everywhere. And he falls to the ground and standing over him, holding his big science fiction gun, is the Joker. And then Plastic Man punches him in the face. Yeah. So that's Joker down. The League have won. Yes. And then we get the recreation of the scene we saw at the end of the previous issue. Beat for beat. So we have a big rock uh, coming towards us through the window. We have Joker. We have an empty set of Joker clothes on the floor. And we have Superman holding the Philosopher's Stone and in order to stop Luther using it, he fires up his eyes with electro power and goes, whatever this is, I'm destroying it now. And we get a shazak kind of bolts of blue energy. Yeah, which is, a, it's this page is a different artist. Howard Porter drew the final page of the last issue, but this is, I'm not sure. This is sure Gary if, Frank again. This is Gary Frank, yes. And so the shazak looks slightly different, but it's, yeah, it's the same so, oh no, Superman just destroyed the Philosopher's Stone, John. Can I can I just say a fun a fun factoid I know about the word Shazak, PJ? You can. In the seminal graphic novel of Marvel vs. DC, hmm. or DC vs. Marvel, uh, when Thor is fighting Captain Marvel, sometimes known as Shazam, uh, Billy Batson shouts Shazam to make his lightning bolt come down, and Thor throws his hammer into the lightning bolt, deflecting it, and it makes the sound effect of Shazak rather than Shazam. Because Thor interrupts it with me on here. Oh, there I like go. that. There you go. I need to reread <laughs> DC versus Marvel. I haven't read that for a long time. Yeah, yeah, that's a special treat. We should maybe save that for like a, an episode down the line. That Definitely. Could be, that could be beautiful. Um, but PJ, um, has time and space been doomed? Well, uh, the next panel is Superman looking confused while Jean holds his burned and blackened and smoking hands over the Philosopher's Stone, which has not been destroyed. And Superman just says, why have you done that? Your hands. And Jean just says, there wasn't time. There wasn't any other way. Telepathic alarm from Green Lantern. I saw it all. The world in ruins. And Superman is quite rightly confused. He's, what are you on about? Your hands. And John just says, Moons of Mars, Darkseid would have destroyed us all. And then Superman turns around and Kyle's big green head is just <laughs> hovering in the air behind him, shouting, don't destroy the stone. Darkseid takes over the Earth and kills everybody. We just got back from the future. It was horrible. Don't destroy any kind of stone. <laughs> and then Superman's like, yep, the stone's intact. We should get together and have a conversation, maybe. I do like how, again... You're Superman, and Kyle has just told this to you with no evidence, but you go, okay, I know the crazy life we lead. 
Yeah. Like, <laughs> it sounds like you've had quite the quite the adventure. <laughs> like I look forward to hearing about it. Um and um Jem, son of Saturn, is bleeding. Uh and pa- Plastic Man has wrapped himself around him like a bandage to basically try and hold him together. Yeah, and- Jean says he's alive, he's attempting to repair the wound, his alien physiology, uh, and then picks up Jem and carries him towards the teleporter with Plastic Man just wrapped around him. So Plastic Man's neck and head are poking out from behind Jem, but the rest of him is now a bandage. Yes, and this very sorry state of affairs, which is now over, Superman just goes to Luther and goes, look, okay, it's over, you better join us in the teleporter. And Luther goes, once again, Uving's, Uving's, I can't speak, PJ. I'm going to use a different word. Once again, you've guaranteed that everything gets done your way, Superman. What a clever conqueror you are. And Superman says, not all of us want to rule the world, Luther. And as they step into the teleporter, Luther goes, only because some of us already do. That is Lex Luther in a nutshell, isn't it? Yes. Very, very petty man. And the massive rock collides with the big skull space station and it explodes i just those two panels though that that yeah that is morrison really summing up the superman luther relationship utterly perfectly isn't it it's actually a nice little precursor to um themes that morrison would explore in all-star superman yeah like um you mirror these two panels with um a bit in issue 12 of All-Star Superman where Luther, deranged and, you know, just Luther having a tantrum goes, I could have saved the world at any time if it wasn't for you, Superman. And Superman punches him right in the face and goes, you could have saved the world any time you wanted if it mattered to you. Yep. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Superman displaying not just superhuman speed, strength, but also, I feel, patience. Like, oh god, yes. <laughs> there are so many times when Superman could have just backhanded Luther in the face, and he would have deserved it, and he never, he never does it. It's um, there's a really nice moment in, I think it's a, the world's finest mini series that was drawn by Steve Rude, where at the end of it, it's a Joker Luther team up against Batman and Superman. And at the end of it, another character, I can't remember who, but someone's musing, maybe Batman and Superman will have an effect on each other. And you get this lovely bit where Batman pranks the Joker by setting his trousers on fire using the Batplane. And then Superman just flies up to Luther's window and Luther's like, oh, what are you doing here? Superman just smiles and flies away and freaks Luther out. And I love that, just that moment where Superman's like, yeah, I'm going to do the Batman thing here and and freak him out a bit. (laughs) But that's the thing, isn't it? That's why everyone goes like, oh, Superman, he's the big blue scout. You know, oh, he's so boring. He's just a, you know, he's a goody-goody. But it's like, imagine the self-control you would need to do that, like to not just quietly go and set fire to Luther at some point because you could. <laughs> and I feel like that world's finest moment, that's the closest he's come. Yeah, just, just hey, hey, I see you, man. Yeah. I see you. <laughs> <laughs> the shit only goes so far, Luther. Um, but PJ, um, we cut back to the Watchtower. And, where... and apparently Metron's turned up. Yeah, um, which I guess Kyle is describing going like oh yeah this is good metron 
Um, he turned up as soon as we stopped that bad alternate future from existing. It's probably best not to ask too many questions about that. Yeah, they say uh, the the bad future self doesn't exist now. And then he's talking about how he was in in a, a zombie body, effectively, when he was in his own future dark side body. And it sounds very confusing. So Superman just sort of says, Aquaman. And Aquaman says, it's been hell. Well, it would have been hell, but we got back in time. And then, again, pathetically, the Injustice gang are just kind of standing there. I guess kind of like waiting to be taken back to Earth to be arrested. Well, I think it's quite telling that you've got Luther, Cersei, Dr. Light, Ocean Master all stood there, and Batman stood behind them menacingly, and, you know, that's enough. And Superman simply hands over the Philosopher's Stone to Metron and goes, look, this is far too dangerous to be kept on Earth. This should be with the new gogs, and gives it over to him. And Metron goes, this isn't the Philosopher's Stone. This is a this is a fake. Dun dun dun. And we cut to Joker looking evil as Joker can, uh, saying, "Pulled the old switcheroo. I've got the stone." And he's holding the Philosopher's Stone, which now seems to have horrible red tentacles coming off it. Yeah, it's kind of morphing into the Warlogog. And I guess now Joker has godlike powers? Yeah. And Batman just says, I don't care what it takes. He's completely insane. Stop him. And that's when Kyle recognises the world of Gog as being what our man in the future, from the future, showed him when he was in the superhero graveyard several issues ago. Oh, because, of course, Kyle and and Wally and Aquaman, they never actually saw the Philosopher's Stone, like in, no. ev- in any context. Um, so... Yeah. <laughs> um, and Joker, holding the Wallagog, goes, laugh and the world laughs with you. A 10,000 mile long grin from South America to Asia Minor. And radio reports start coming in of immense damage and destruction on Earth, basically. Um, it's a little weird because we don't see this, but I guess we have to assume that it is happening. Yeah, and Joker continues to laugh, shouts that he's got some crazy ideas, and, and Superman is a bit panicked. He doesn't quite know what to do. He's We can't attack the stone. Maybe I can shut down his brain's electrical activity for just a second. And John then just shouts, Joker, stop, as his left eye glows red. Yeah, and the Joker suddenly pauses and seems to be very confused and goes what have I been doing with my life I've been insane oh my god what have I done and Jean is making the Joker sane like he is he says it's like holding back a storm but I am reordering the information in his brain telepathically it is he's yeah it's apparently an immense effort but the Joker is momentarily sane uh, yeah, so powerful is the Joker's insanity that Jean says, I, I can't hold him for long, so you need to do something. But And Superman just calmly asks him, Joker, please give me the stone. You could do irreparable damage. And Joker says, I've done terrible things. I have to do something right. I, I need to fix it. Yeah, and 
everyone's I guess it's like kind of, almost like a kind of hostage negotiation like yeah. everyone's trying to get the stone off him but not freak him out and Luther just goes if you really want to make amends Joker bring back the people who died in Star City back when the revenge squad attacked make it like it never happened yep. and again it's there's a lot of kind of like standing around and everyone kind of going like we have to do something and Metron goes this is a key moment for the future. How the stone is used now will basically impact space-time for good or evil. And then Joker does it. He brings back to life everyone who died in the Star City attack. He says, they never died. It's done. And then says, I, I think I need help. And it's and a lovely sort of just pathetic image of the Joker. He's just very small at the bottom of a large plain white panel just stood his shoulders drooping looking down at the floor he's 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 a beaten broken man and just as jean can no longer hold his sanity flash in an absolute blur is holding the scone he said i got it john john you must have blinked and the joker just lets out this kind of soul-rending scream as his kind of insanity hits him again, like a like a wave, he falls to his knees. It's that it's the Willem Dafoe in Platoon pose, isn't it? It's his, his <laughs> arms held out to the sky, his head thrown backwards, much gnashing of teeth and kind of rending of clothes, and um, and then Kyle is just kind of like jabbing a finger at Luther and goes like, "Hey man, like you're guilty as hell. Like you are." You're going. He's basically saying, like, look, we got you. You know, you're going to jail. But Luther goes, well, on what charges? Like, um, no one died in Star City. You know, Wally realizes Mirror Master's missing, and Green Lantern says to Superman, he nearly blew up the Watchtower. He nearly killed Aztec, and Superman sort of realizes that the JLA may have stopped Luther using the Philosopher's Stone and beaten the Injustice Gang, but Luther's got out of it again because he just says he didn't do any of that though and we did destroy several million dollars worth of LexCorp hardware so they're free to go and Superman actually reaches out a hand to Luther to shake and goes you won you're free to go be happy but as Luther reaches out to shake hands with Superman his hand passes right through Superman's hand and Luther starts fading away and he goes I'm here to make your lives hell I only keep you alive to make your lives hell and Batman you made a big mistake and then he just phases out leaving um, a few of his compatriots to go to jail one would imagine (laughs) I, I presume that's what's happened. Or they've just had to teleport them back down to Earth because technically they haven't done anything wrong on this occasion. Technically. I so, I mean, you've got to you've got to imagine there's a few kind of outstanding warrants for arrests here. You you you'd have to hope. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly for the Joker. Surely he's just going back to Arkham. Yeah, they should really do a better job of locking their doors. <laughs> um and yeah, and then Plastic Man is thanked by Superman and Batman goes, we'll be in touch. 
And Aztec and John are performing surgery on Jem, son of Saturn? Yeah, because Aztec is trained as a doctor, technically. Oh, of uh, course, yes. In his is. civilian identity. Now, these next few pages are all very, very important to our ongoing story. So pay attention, children. Yes. So I guess the only little nugget is that Jean very quickly says that, well, he apologises for overhearing Aztec's thoughts, being a telepath, but goes, I respect your decision. So Superman and the League stand in front of Metatron, Metron, flipping neck, with the Wallagog, <laughs> and basically says, can you assure that the Philosopher's Stone will be kept away from Earth in the future? And Metron goes, what is the future? What is the past? These concepts only have meaning to you. And I guess we get a bit of Morrison's particular philo- philosophy yeah. around the new gogs, which we're going to see explored a lot in the series coming up. But Metron just kind of regards them and goes, you, you're basically, I look at you and you're like children to me. I am eons ahead of you in, in advancement. But there's something about you, uh, a seed. And he talks about how there was an ancient world once before which was torn apart and from that world new genesis and apocalypse the worlds of the new gods arose and he basically says um you know in time this planet earth will might be the cradle for a new race of gods and the league are very confused superman just says metron what is this we we don't and metron just teleports out but as he goes he says you are only forerunners prepare for the fortification of earth and he's gone and a big flash of light and the league are alone so that's ominous that's very ominous what what could that mean pj we're not going to find out yet because we cut to metropolis and superman appearing as a lightning strike in lex luther's office yeah, and this is a fun little scene. I it have really to say. is. It really is. Because and again, ba- pure, pure Lex Luthor. It's just he, perfect. Yeah, because Luthor's basically chilling in his private office, and he basically goes, "Oh, great! I'm, I'm, I'm in my private room. The doors are locked, and even here, I cannot escape you, Superman." And he goes, "Why am I such a constant source of fascination to you? What is it this time?" And Superman says, look, I'm, I'm here to thank you for what you did. Your idea to bring back the dead of Star City was brilliant. They don't even remember being dead. Batman's convinced you did it to avoid the murder charges, but I think there's a good man in there. And, and yeah, it's, Lex it's just a, goes, I don't know what you're talking about. And there's a fun thing where Luther is holding a little mirror. And Superman goes, oh, I assume that's one of Mirror Magic's gadgets, and that's how you escaped. And Luther goes, I shave my head, I use a mirror. What an imagination you have, Superman. You're obsessed. You should see a doctor. <laughs> so Superman just leaves. And, I, I, you know, that's Luther denying any involvement. He's, he's doing what Luther does and it's, making out like he was never there. It is weird, isn't it? And, and it, it's this constant belief of Superman's that there is somehow a good person inside Lex struggling well, think- to get out. I think Superman believes that he believes that everybody has that inside them, doesn't he? That's that's why he's Superman. 
And I don't think there are many other heroes who could honestly just walk up to the guy who tried to kill them and basically go, good job. Like, you know, no one was hurt. You tried your best. You failed. Thank you for bringing some people back to life. Like, that's pretty big. I don't think many people would do that. I've got to be honest. I side with Batman on this one. I think Luther only did it to so he could plausibly deny the murder charges because nobody's dead. Yeah. It's a weird one, isn't it? Because Luther was angry with the Injustice gang earlier for killing people, but at the same time, he was willing to launch the attack in the first place. Like well, He said keep casualties to a minimum, yeah, but he, he didn't... He was more than happy to kill people. Yeah. He's a scumbag. But we cut back to the JLA Watchtower, and sadly, it is not a very triumphant mood. Um, Connor is quitting. Yeah, and he's, he doesn't think he's cut out for it. It's it's too intense for him. He wants to be on the ground helping people, not in space on a satellite dealing with cosmic issues. Yeah, which again is a very, very much like his dad, you know, uh, who often accused the JLA of being out of touch. And he's like, look, we're on a bloody satellite, you know, I, <laughs> I need to get back to I need to get back to the people. Yeah, he says it's too big for his head right now. And and Kyle says, look, we saw future you, and you were awesome. You were, He actually says, you were like the way they say your old man was. And then, tell him, Wally. And Flash is like, well, it was a possible future which we presented, but you were great. And there's a, a weird little quirk where Wally is cleaning up all the chairs, which the Joker morphed into copies of his own face yes <laughs> which is again i guess we've got to make some more chess uh and aztec goes uh look i know this is a terrible moment but i'm quitting as well and kyle is basically just can't believe this kyle's like but this was the happy time we were all supposed to be happy in a team like you 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 were a hero you saved the watchtower why are you quitting and Aztec, Aztec points out, yeah, he says, uh, look, I was raised by the Q Foundation and I just found out that they were funded by Luther. So I'm compromised. Luther owns my equipment. And then Kyle quite pointedly says, look, I know you haven't had much to do, but you belong in the league. <laughs> and no, he hasn't had much to do, let's be honest. Yeah, and the big wigs are having a private meeting, which I guess like all the kind of young guns are not invited to, so... Kyle's like, well, what's going on in there? What are you talking about? Why? Yeah, and he's just basically like, why is everything crap? Kyle is so dejected, he can't understand why he's we're like, not yeah, throwing a party. He says, we, we just saved the future from Darkseid. Why is everyone sad? And we follow Metron, who is in his Mobius chair, moving through countless bizarre dimensions in space-time. And he now he's got the um, he's got the philosopher's stone with him. And hey, PJ, it's a reference to your favourite storyline. Well, can we talk about the other two panels first because they oh, are okay. glorious. I love <laughs> the top panel is Metron on his Mobius chair, sort of travelling. He says he's encoded himself into the biological fluid which surrounds the Earth, drawing on the energies of life itself to accelerate the dynamos of his mobius chair and it's this really weird like fish and trees and birds like and crazy humans, montage just, of... but all merging into one it's 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 bizarre and it's beautiful 
this is I guess this could be seen as like a little reference to Morrison's run on Animal Man. This is yeah. like the morphic field. Yeah, I think it probably is actually, yeah. And and then Metron is flying along like a an infinite hotel corridor, kind of, with like just very mundane looking doors. Uh and- you know, I don't want to be that guy, but I genuinely can't tell if he's really small or far away in this panel. <laughs> or or PJ, whether it's a very big Yes. A, a very big um hallway. Yeah. I think it's that Metron is tiny in comparison, because if you look at his shadow, it's quite in the forefront of the panel. Um Yes. So I think it's it's just as you say, a a, a giant hallway. And then yes, he arrives at the source wall. To see that Darkseid is still imprisoned there, something that happened in Genesis. Hello, John Byrne, you're back again. And the source wall is the physically the edge of the DC universe, beyond yeah. which there is only the presence, aka God. And the idea being that anyone who tries to breach the source wall gets consumed by the wall and becomes like a giant gold statue embedded in its surface. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, and Darkseid is one of those. So you've got a giant gold Darkseid just stretched out on the wall alongside the other Promethean giants. I, I reading this, I had assumed that this was referencing some event from years ago. Like so I was I. like, I was like, oh god, Darkseid must have been imprisoned there since at least 1984 or something. But no, this is like three months later. Yep. From the events of Genesis. Yep. So it's only a recent thing, and. It's pretty much the only reference to Genesis, I think, that... I don't know, for example, I have absolutely no idea when Darkseid does come out of the wall or if he just appears again later on. I don't think he appears in a single issue of the JLA series beyond this point. No, I don't think he does either, but he does show up later in other comics, like Orion gets a solo series uh, a couple of, a year or so after this which Darkseid I know appears in and a few other books here and there. And I don't know if they ever actually show him escaping the source wall or if it's just not really commented on. Oh, I guess if he just waited long enough, there'd be a reboot. Like, I don't know if it was Infinite Crisis next or... Um... Oh, he appears before Infinite Crisis. I remember that. Right. Yeah. Or he just had to bide his time until... Well, no, because Final Crisis happened before the New 52, didn't it? Um, yes. Yeah, because it was Flashpoint was the one that created the new 52. Oh, yeah. A little hard to keep track of, to be honest. It is. Um, so Metron now, uh, accelerates through an entire man's life in a single instant, which is a crazy concept, and launches himself out of the space-time perimeter of this universe to arrive on Wonderworld. Yeah, and what I love here is whereas when Kyle, Wally and Arthur are on Wonderworld, they were teeny tiny, Metron is the same size as the other uh, beings that live there. I choose to believe this is uh, something like, uh, I don't know, quantum lensing or something like that, PJ, where Metron can manifest at any size he wants. Maybe. I. I have another theory on this, but I'm not going to get into it today. It's for a future episode. I think you know when it's going to come up. 
but yeah, I do have a couple of theories. I'm not about sure if I do how one <laughs> appears in in. I'll I'll put some emphasis on a word here, and then you might get it. How one appears in Wonder World. Hmm. Hmm. Intriguing. Um. Okay. Uh. So Metron is talking to Adam One. And from Adam Wong's perspective, it has been a very, very, very long time since uh, Flash, Green Lantern, and Aquaman passed by. And he says, They were blind to the all-devouring nature of the threat we face here, on the edge of the known universe. And you see Wonderworld kind of moving past this endless darkness. And there are eyes in the darkness, kind of staring out at us. With a, a what appears to be a, a red orb in between them. And Metron says, it will not be you who must face this threat. Hmm. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, that could, maybe, maybe that'll get covered, PJ. Maybe it won't. Um, I think people need to remember some big eyes and a red orb in space. Just, just, Just keep that one in the back of your mind. And from there, we cut back to, I believe, the Rings of Saturn once again. And our man talking to Metron, because, of course, it was Metron he was talking to. We're basically back in the prologue to the issue. We're back in. We've gone back to the future, PJ. (laughs) Yes, we have. And having handed the Warlagog over to our man, Metron basically pieces out. And uh, he says, another breaching time is coming. It will be your first task as my successor and the new master of time to oversee its repair. And then he disappears. And then our man turns to someone else standing in the room. We get a silhouette with a red cape and like three orangey yellow weird oblongs on his chest. A it vaguely, looks like a vaguely familiar silhouette, yes. A vaguely familiar kind of caped, heroic silhouette, shall we say. And Aquaman says, he made me his apprentice and entrusted me with the world of Gog itself. Aquaman? And Aquaman? Is that what I said? That's what you said. Well, I meant our man. <laughs> All right, you couldn't say Metron know, so many times in there. Give me this one. <laughs> I had to get my kicks in there because I was like, damn it. I want to prove that PJ isn't perfect. I, I need this. <laughs> That's what the P stands for. I'm a petty uh, <laughs> man, PJ. I'm a small, petty man. <laughs> Our man says, he made me his apprentice and entrusted me with the Whirlagog. And then the figure just says, I'll alert the rest of Justice Legion A to prepare for deep time travel. Deep time travel. God, I love that. That's so cool. And then we're back to another epilogue. 833 centuries earlier where Superman, Aquaman, and Batman are having a meeting, and Superman basically says, hey, it looks like we barely prevented a a catastrophe on a scale I can barely think about. Are we capable of... um, Basically, the debate is, hey, like, space-time almost ended? Can we... Are we good enough to rise up to this level of challenge, basically? And, and Batman says, "Look, I've I've made some suggestions, but I want to I want to go back to Earth and, and stay down there for a while." And Superman says, "Yep, okay, we're we're all in agreement then." And then we cut to the uh, the other room where 
Kyle, Jean, Aztec, Connor and Wally are all stood as the, the three of them stride out. And Superman says, Gentlemen, I'm sorry for what appeared to be secrecy. However, in accordance with regulations, and after a great deal of discussion, as of now, we're officially disbanding the Justice League of America. <gasps> That's it. That's the end. The end. It's the end, folks. Uh, well, we hope is... you've enjoyed this journey through the entire run of Morrison and Porter's JLA. Um... <laughs> <laughs> it was it was good while it lasted. Um, <laughs> they got they got fifteen issues out of it. Um, yeah, that is the end of the issue and the end of the end of Rock of Ages. Um, PJ, uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, it's insane, isn't it? That the whole story and is utterly utterly crazy and even at the end where to a degree it almost feels like you're just ending with a fight between the jla and the injustice gang but because of what we've seen before with dark side because of the philosopher's stone or the whirlagog it 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 just something about it just feels so insane it's the stakes that that morrison has managed to thread through it because you've seen what'll happen, you know what's at stake and how much more this has riding on its shoulders than just a normal fight between the JLA and their evil counterparts. Now, PJ, this, this is a longer issue, isn't it? Like, how many? Did you know how many pages um, it is off the top of your I head? I think it's, it's, I want to say thirty-six. I might be slightly off, but I think it's about thirty-six pages. So we're so not like, quite double length, but certainly longer than normal. So we've got like another. 14 pages on top of what we normally would have. Yeah. It's a very... I've got to say, as much as I enjoy the events that are happening, this I find this issue to be quite messy. Um, yes. And I, I don't necessarily just mean that there are different um, artists working on different pages and, and that the transition between them can be a little jarring at times. This is a very stop-start issue in terms of the action. And I can't tell how much of that is intentional, how much of that is maybe a consequence of what I have to imagine is a slightly strange production process for this mm. issue. Because it's a longer issue in a regular series. I mean, not to get too meta, but we know that some big, big, big changes are about to come for the series. Off well, the back yeah, of, they, they just disbanded the JLA. They just disbanded the JLA. And I'm like, Morrison, did Morrison negotiate for the extra space because there was a lot they wanted to fit in before this kind of sea change of disbanding the JLA? And it's like, for all that extra space, it, it's, it's weirdly paced. You know, did you get you know that? It's like a thing happens... And then everyone's kind of standing around again. Yeah. And then another thing happens. And then everyone's kind of standing around again. It doesn't feel like we ever get that crescendo of action kind of happening. It feels to me like something that it it works better if you read Rock of Ages all in one sitting. I think it's less noticeable that the pacing mm. of the final issue, that it's a bit weird. I think certainly taken on its own, read as a single issue... Yeah, it does feel odd in places. Um, it's a weird one, definitely for sure. And I, I have to say, like, and again, it's it's 
it's enjoyable for me because it's coming off the back of Rock of Ages. It is the conclusion to all these threads. It, it's a weird issue. I don't. Th- I certainly don't think it's the best issue, and it's a weird follow-up to the previous issue, which is so astonishing and so tightly plotted. That's it. I think it's that part five of Rock of Ages is, I think, the real high point for the the storyline. Morrison doing Kirby, having Darkseid show up, and the way he deals with the the future Justice League, and that is, I think, the the, the best issue in the story. And then to to come back to where we started with the Injustice Gang and have all of that, but also still have to deal with the Philosopher's Stone and the fallout. It's one of the it's it's one of the because I, I do think that one of like the biggest skills in making comics, be it writing or pacing or whatever, is how you manipulate the perception of time. Mm. And I find it quite interesting that in the previous issue, which is absolutely just stellar plotting and editing and pacing, so much happens in twenty two pages, but it never feels rushed. Everyone gets all the time they need. Everyone gets these beautiful character moments. As we said, we even get time to care about the weird future versions of Aztec and Argent, even mm. though they're like bit characters. And yeah, and this is a weird issue to me because despite having 14 extra pages, despite having all this kind of like extra breathing space, I do feel it's kind of like weird, like wasted space in places. And I find the confrontation with the Injustice Gang is very, very kind of like, as I said, stop scar, and maybe not helped by some of the some of the artwork. Which again, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be too cruel, but I think there's some very static yes. poses sometimes. Yeah, I think that's usually when it's not a porter page, isn't it? It's yeah. It, it, I wonder if Morrison asked for the extra space. But then also said, and maybe can I have some extra time to make sure it all, but was only given one of those things. And so even though they had extra pages to to create for the for the book to, to write, they weren't given the extra time to maybe make sure it was as good as it, it needed to be. And obviously to make sure it came out on time, they also brought in other artists, DC, uh, which sort of doesn't help. It's weird that... And and again, it's interesting because in, in what I would, even in what I would say is not, uh, is not the best issue of Rock of Ages, and is certainly not the best issue of the series so far. Far from it. It's interesting that even then, there are a lot of really good moments. Like um, as we said, the the even the little character moments between Luther and Superman mm. are great. And I can't tell how much of the events that play out. Are Morrison doing a weird meta subversion of what you think the conclusion is going to be? Because we don't get this big epic fight between the JLA and the Injustice Gang. It's actually a little pathetic. And I can't tell how much of that is intentional. Because I think a lot of it is. But I think it's just slightly let down by some of the execution in places. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It is basically they arrive on the satellite and yeah, Green Arrow and Plastic Man get some action beats, but that's about it. It's more Superman, Batman and Jean standing there going, surrender. And again, absolute gems like um, Dr. Light beaming Superman out of the out of the solar system is great. Um, anytime Porter is drawing, it just shines. Yep. Um, it, I mean, it really does, actually. Um 
it, it's almost like editing. It's almost like I feel they got like, if it were like a movie, I feel they shot all the B-roll. They got all the kind of like perfect moments. It just wasn't quite kind of shuffled together into like the right, into this perfect flow. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it just the issue needed a little longer to be so that Morrison could perfect the script and Porter could draw all of it. Maybe. Would it have worked? Can you imagine an alternate timeline where this was actually two issues? I don't know. Because then there'd be even more. Where do you make the break? Do yeah. You? I almost wonder whether it straddled like a weird kind of halfway house where there was slightly more content for one issue, but not quite enough for two issues. Mm. Um, I, I would say a really weird thing, for example, is um, when Joker supposedly uses the power of the Philosopher's Stone to make a smile appear on the Earth. And I'd be like, that's such a, an insane visual. Why didn't we get that? Why does that all have to happen off panel? Yeah. And, and I don't know if it was just because it was a little, it was a little rushed and, uh, they, you know, they were just trying to fit in everything towards, you know, because ultimately all the stuff we get at the end is insanely important. Like, it's, it, these are all big world-building moments with Metron and and time travel and this kind of hint at, at something bigger, which is coming. Yep. Yep. Those, then those last few pages, the last four or five pages, which, as you say, are, are utterly vital to the ongoing threads, do seem to... They almost seem to be the part of the issue that's given the most space mm. and the, the part that almost works best for me. I feel I feel bad for being critical because I feel I'm only holding it to this standard because we've had so many exceptional issues beforehand. It's like I still think if this was inserted into, say, a more generic superhero run, it would be a striking issue. Hmm. I just think it pales by comparison to what came before. It maybe suffers because we've just had such a perfect couple of issues. I feel like anyone would have had uh, problems sticking the landing with Rock of Ages, with, with ending that story coherently. And I think it's testament to how good Morrison is that they do it so that it's not a mess, that it is as coherent and, and works as as well as it does. I think, yeah, it's not as good as some previous issues, but it, it's still mostly just about sticks the landing. And I feel like... There are other writers where that wouldn't have happened at all, where it would have just been a mess. Yes, and I, I would say, again, I, I, I certainly don't mean to be too 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 negative about this because it's interesting that, again, even, in, even when we're having maybe a slightly more average issue, everything that's happening, I do enjoy. Like, I do genuinely mm. enjoy all these moments. They just maybe don't quite flow together as well as well as they do and i think it's a just a testament to the series in general of how much i actually enjoy spending time with these characters like um you know when batman's on screen being batman i'm very happy <laughs> yeah completely uh, and i i love this is really the main introduction of plastic man into the book yes he had that like one page appearance several issues ago but this is where you you see plastic man full on what he brings to the table and i think it's it's a wonderful introduction for him well it's actually it's so interesting to see these 
themes develop and you clearly see what matters to Morrison and how yeah. kind of uh, looking back at the series as a whole and obviously the stuff we haven't covered yet in the podcast, there are big things where we go like, well, of course, Plastic Man is part of the league. Oh, and of course, the new gogs are around. But this is where it all started. Yeah. You know, and these hints of maybe like a bigger threat that's developing of um, obviously the new gogs of Wonderworld, of Plastic Man's involvement, like it was all, all the seeds were sown here. And knowing, you know, kind of seeing Morrison's other work and assuming how their mind works, I can only imagine that this was all kind of planned out from the beginning. I th- I think it was. I think it most definitely was. There's there's probably some things that changed a little bit as as they were going along that you know that they would look at and and go actually I might take this this way instead. But probably the overarching storyline is the story they set out to tell. Now, PJ, talking about the kind of series as a whole. We've talked in the past about the different kind of unofficial phases or Mm. kind of uh, ages, if you will, where things kind of um, suddenly suddenly change or going a new direction. And we're at one of those moments now, aren't we, where the series is going to enter a new a new phase pretty pretty suddenly. Yeah. So we've just looked at JLA fifteen. JLA sixteen is hugely different in terms of the setup and and the league itself we've got some diversions to go on before we do jla 16 we're doing some of those classic john and pj jla cast diversions in the, the next few episodes before we get there the only the only thing i'll say in our defense is that whereas before we were arbitrarily inserting those diversions in where we felt they best fit um now we are well, the, if you if you've got the trades, the next two diversions are included in them. They are basically part of the main continuity. Well, are they that's not? not quite true, is oh, it, John? Is is it not, PJ? Am I, am I lying to you? <clasps> well, because we wasn't our next diversion going to be Earth Two? Oh God, was it? Ah, you see, I'm looking at my spreadsheet, and uh, Earth Two is like the weird floating cell that I haven't inserted in. So. Um, are we doing are we doing earth 2 pj i i think i think it makes sense to do earth 2 next you know what it's not yeah yeah it's not a bad time and based on our release schedule that would be a good way to kind of you know ring in 2021 in style <laughs> and that's earth 2's a book so it's going to take <laughs> us probably two a good two or three episodes to get through earth 2 then we've got uh jla secret files and origins Two, then we've got Prometheus New Year's Evil. Then we'll do JLA sixteen. Yes, and if that sounds a little confusing, don't worry. If you happen to be holding the trade or have downloaded the trade, uh, Secret Files and Origins and New Year's Evil will be included. So um, yes, they are at the start of the Strength in Numbers trade. Oh, it's exciting. There's a lot I like about what's coming up actually, but obviously some big, big, big changes. Which, if you haven't uh, read this series before and you're sort of reading along for the first time as we do the podcast, which, welcome to you, This is that is wonderful news, try and avoid the cover to strengthen numbers because there's some spoilers for stuff that comes up. <laughs> yeah, like just 
Um, uh, close your eyes when you uh, try to try to approach it from a different angle. Maybe I I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I I guess we're entering a new a new era, about to enter a new era, which I like very much. Mm. I am also uh, kind of retroactively sad for the era we're leaving because it was a fun it was a fun period um and i would i look forward to discussing with you pj in future issues episodes some of the i guess kind of meta decisions that were going around this like i'd love to know how many of these changes came from morrison how many were dictated by editorial and if we don't have solid answers i'd love to speculate yeah, well, I, I think we also at this point need to discuss Green Arrow and Aztec. Because yeah. they're not coming back. No, they're, no. I mean, mild spoilers, but I think we see a little of Aztec again towards we the do. end. We As, do. Aztec does return to the book, but we're a ways off that. So I guess my... my this is This is an interesting point then, PJ, because... Rock of Ages is this bizarre little period in time where there's an odd team lineup. Mm. And it's like a little boys club. You know, we, some some characters have left, some new ones have come in. Now, we talked about Aztec, and I can imagine Morrison going, well, Aztec never got his time to shine in his own series. We're going to weave him in. And I was very happy to see him on the team. But then he's gone just as quickly. Yeah, I almost wonder if it's a, it's a casualty of of Aztec's own book being cancelled. Like the book was cancelled, so Morrison thought, "Well, I'll bring Aztec into JLA then because I can I can use him there." But then maybe found that actually I don't really have room for Aztec in this book with everything else I'm doing and and bringing in. So maybe it doesn't quite work out that way. Maybe that's what I suspect may have happened. Sort of. Morrison realised that JLA wasn't going to be the place he could properly tell Aztec's story. Well, sorry, they could properly tell Aztec's story. I do apologise. I'd, and again, I, I almost want to save some of this for for following episodes. But I'd heard or read um, discussions that uh, Morrison had had around JLA and the decisions that were made about the the cast and who who they wanted on it. And I can see how Aztec wouldn't perhaps fit for that reasoning but at the same time it, it is strange because Aztec is a is a Morrison creation and I kind of assumed that JLA based on what I now know w- was almost like a life raft it's almost like well Aztec's series is dying he never resonated with fans as much as we would have liked but JLA would have been a perfect place for him because he doesn't have to have his own series he could be a nice kind of supporting character in JLA and over time, maybe people will come to love him a bit more. But no, he's gone. He's he's off into limbo. I feel like Connor is the bigger question mark for me. It's I'm I'm not entirely sure why Green Arrow was brought in to then leave in the way that he does. Um, because Morrison does a lot of good things with Connor. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's not if if it were an editorial decision where it's like, hey, Grant, you know, you're writing our big, big, big superhero comic, the the numero uno title with the big hitters, editorial is saying, we absolutely demand that you put this new character on the team because we want people to like him. You know, he's got to have a time to shine. 
And I can imagine if that were the case, if you were the writer, you might potentially be a little resentful. It might be like, mm-hmm. well, I don't want to have this character on the team. I've got, a, I've, got a, I've got to. I don't have a choice. And yet Morrison clearly cares so much for Connor and does so many interesting and fun things with Connor. It, it's hard to believe that Morrison was forced to have Connor on the team. Uh, it seems like a Morrison decision. And yet then it's strange that Connor is now gone and we will not see him again. I wonder if maybe Morrison was asked, like the editorial said, can you put Green Arrow on the team? I don't know if Green Arrow as a solo title was going at this point. I, I, I'm genuinely not sure. Um, but whether, you know, they were bringing in this new version of the character and they they said, Grant, would you mind? <laughs> and maybe Morrison went, yeah, sure. I'll put Green Arrow on the team. Why not? And and then maybe same deal as with Aztec. Maybe they sort of went, actually, I don't have room. <laughs> I've got, and went back to them and said, really sorry. I've had Green Arrow on for these issues. I want to do this. I want to bring this in and that. I don't have the room to give Green Arrow the space he deserves in the book. Can I have him leave the team, please? That's That's how it's gone in my head. It is strange, though, because... I can imagine Green Arrow. I know, I know, he's he's not Ollie, but I can imagine that like Green Arrow in any form having a life outside JLA because there's a big fan base for Green Arrow. Hmm. Um, it's sad in a way because it does feel like a death sentence for Aztec. Like, if Aztec leaves for pages of JLA, I can't imagine anyone else at this time is picking up a torch for Aztec. I, I'm. I don't think there were any guest appearances until he came back to the JLA book that I'm aware of. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of sad, isn't it? Kind of like mm. the right character in the wrong time, perhaps. The world wasn't didn't need Aztec at that point. Uh, and now looking back, how much we need him. You know, never quite. I never quite filled that as that pointy headed void <laughs> in my in my heart. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely. It feels kind of big, big, and I, I wonder if you were reading it at the time, and the JLA getting disbanded. I wonder what on earth you'd be thinking, like what was what was coming up next. And again, I I can't tell how much was planned from the beginning. I know I know Morrison clearly had a big story arc planned, but I wonder whether they'd always planned to do this kind of soft reboot at this point and say, well, we're shifting up the cast, we're disbanding, or or whether it was because Morrison's ideas changed and they were like, well, hey, I think I can do this in a different way. I've got a different take on it now and we need to wipe the slate clean so we can do something new. It would be really fascinating to find out certainly what was going on behind the scenes at this point in the series. Well, PJ, that's something to strive for. When we inevitably get Grant Morrison on this show for an interview, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, that that can be one of the top dollar questions. We'll have it. We'll have it. Kind of. We'll add it to the list, basically, and we'll, we'll get it direct <laughs> from the horse's mouth. Yes, let's do it. Well, on that note, you, P- sorry, PJ, you get in touch with them and uh, and invite them on the show. Oh, and yeah, I will ruin everything. Well, you know, I've got. You know, I've got. Um, I've got, you know I've got Grant Morrison on speed dial. You know, just uh you know, it's like number one, that's like that's Lucy, number two, that's my parents, you know, number three, it's John Byrne, and then number four uh. <laughs> Well, you know me and Byrne, we like to have a natter every now and then. 
Um, PJ, have we said everything we could possibly say about Rock of Ages? Uh, yes, I think so. I mean, there are, look, Rock of Ages is over. Oh, sadness. But some of its threads are going to crop up again, and that's very exciting where they go. But, I, yeah, I just want to say I have thoroughly enjoyed revisiting Rock of Ages. I think it was it was really, really good fun. Me too, me too. And it, it, it didn't... It didn't disappoint, and I, I, I think um, I know we joked about it, but even even some of the weirder the weirder diversions like Genesis and um, learning a little more about the landscape of DC Comics at the time, it is kind of telling that I th- I think this was such a pivotal moment for Darkseid. Like, I like, mean, you, yeah, you, you say it was okay doing those diversions. You're not the one that actually read Genesis, so <laughs> yeah, I was safe in a diving bell, kind of like uh, <laughs> protected against the uh, the deep sea pressure of Genesis. But I, yeah, I think one of the most striking revelations is, was the concept that you know this may have been the best interpretation of Darkseid up until that point, and it may genuinely have have influenced a whole generation of creators and how they viewed the importance of dark side to the dc universe yeah for uh, good or for ill i don't think we have dark side in um in the, for of all things for snyder cut if it, if it if it weren't for if it weren't for rock of ages great now i hate rock of ages i'm Thanks sorry i'm sorry pj i'm sorry just think of steppenwolf and make it make it all better <laughs> oh. um and on that a uh, gloriously happy note. I suppose it falls on me to say a massive thank you to Gav Mitchell for drawing our incredible cover art. And thank you also to Elliot Red for composing and performing our theme tune, Justice. And if you like hearing uh, PJ and I uh, chat comics and, and uh, just waffle on about our, our, our crazy, crazy, crazy lives, uh, you can find us on social media and our details are in the description. PJ. Hello. Uh, you know, after a story as epic and game-changing as 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 Rock of Ages, I I, I think we need a, a pretty damn good sign-off, and I'm glad you're here to do it. John, we need to assemble the JLA cast. That's you and me for deep time travel back to you know whenever Earth Two set. Um, 1997. Boom! Deep time travel. <laughs> <laughs>